Welcome to Business Unmuted, broadcast live on LinkedIn on Wednesday the 28th July 2021. And for those of you stuck in traffic, it will later be shared on platforms including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. I'm Caroline Theobald, standing in for Graham Robb for the second week running. He'll be back for the next broadcast after enjoying a couple of weeks on staycation. And lucky him, the weather has been pretty much fine. To the meat of today. It's just over a week since so-called Freedom Day saw a raft of Covid restrictions lifted across England. There is a feeling among some people that we're at the tail end of the pandemic. But with the furlough scheme tapering off, banks beginning to call in business rates, um, business, business, call in um, bounce, business bounce back loans, and the, and, the business re, and the business rates exemption for hospitality and retail winding down is a storm brewing. So, how can government and businesses work together to ride the wave out of the pandemic and steady the ship? I'm pleased to be joined today by three fantastic guests who I am sure will have many of their own ideas on how we can keep the economy off the rocks. They are Graham Whitfield, my favourite business editor, a man with his ear to the ground. Graham is the business and agenda editor at the Journal and Northeast editor of Business Live. Down the line, we have Chris Beaumont, a partner at Clive Owen LLP, Chartered Accountants and Business Advisors. They have offices in Darlington, Durham and York, so a widespread of owner-managed businesses. And adding a bit of Zest to our discussion today is Chief Executive of Lemon Business Solutions, Martin Anderson. Let's have a look at what we're going to be talking about. Boris Johnson's planned 1% increase to national insurance contributions is beginning to meet some resistance. Estimates suggest that it would hit the pockets of employees and employers to the tune of £10 billion a year. Is an increase to NI the answer to funding social care? Or is an extensive overhaul of national insurance long overdue? Will an increase to NI hit small businesses especially hard as we enter the recovery phase of the pandemic? Office of Budget Responsibility figures estimate that for the first three months of the current fiscal year, government borrow borrowing was down nearly 20%. Last year, the UK borrowed nearly £300 billion, but it's on track to reduce that to below £200 billion this year and reduce it further still to below £100 billion in 2022-23. And then moving directly back to small business, a report issued this week by the Federation of Small Businesses, the FSB, found that 84% of small businesses accessed business support advice during the pandemic. 45% of those businesses said help them survive. However, many of those who contributed to the report, especially sole traders, said that there are significant gaps in business support for small firms, which pre prevent them contributing to the economic recovery, to economic recovery. If we're going to achieve the government's agenda of levelling up, what support do businesses need? Quite a broad range of discussions there, gentlemen all, today. Um, what I'd like to do, if I may, I gave you a bit of a zingy introduction, Martin. Um, I know that your business has grown quite rapidly during the pandemic. Can you just tell people very briefly a little bit about it in case uh, the listeners and the watchers are new to it? 
Yeah, sure, Caroline, and thank you very much for inviting me on the show. Um, yes, yeah, so my name is Martin. I'm the CEO of London Business Solutions. So we're an outsource provider uh, based in Stockton Tees. Essentially, what we do, it's business process outsourcing. So we work on behalf of the companies, completing a particular task or process or system for them from our offices, generally remotely from their location. And that can be anything from fault help desks or back office admin and functions, things like that, anything that can be done remotely. And um, you're quite right that the pandemic's been a very, very interesting one for us. Uh, you know, we were, we were like a lot of businesses, we were rolling on quite nicely before, before it all began. And then when the pandemic hit, we saw a massive spike in activity in our business. It was as business started closing down and, and doing different things, they started leaning on us more to do some additional kind of work for them. But very quickly, once that forward stopped, that dropped off. Uh, and then when we've come into, into this year, now we're starting to pick up again. Uh, we're really sort of seeing the activity. Now people looking at the outsource model uh, as they come out of, of, of um, the pandemic as well. And they're looking for growth, given the agility and resilience. So it's been a very interesting ride. Excellent. Um, I'm going to move from you to um, Chris at um, Clive Oden Partners. Chris, just to bring you in now, because actually you will have seen a lot of um, businesses. You looked after a lot of businesses um, over the, the whole of the Tees Valley patch over the pandemic and now. I was really interested in what Martin McTague was saying about, you know, 45% of the FSB members were accessing business support. They're part of the whole levelling up agenda. Um, what, have, what have your clients been saying to you over the course of the pandemic and now coming out of it? What support do they need? Well, I think if you go back to sort of April last year, there was significant sort of panic amongst clients. And I think there was generally among businesses across the country. What's this going to look like going forward? Um, are clients going to be sort of continuing to pay us? So basically cash flow issues. Um, are they going to be sort of, sort of, have we got, do we need to sort of furlough staff? Um, because actually we, sort of, we don't know what work's going to be coming in. Are staff going to sort of stop, um, uh, are clients going to stop bringing in their work so we can do it? Um, and what's going to happen with the supply chain? So I think there's a lot of nervousness originally back in sort of April last year about what the scenario would look like. I think the government has done a lot to help sort of businesses. Um, I appreciate the FSB's report there says that small businesses possibly haven't got the support they would like, um, but a lot of our clients have accessed the, uh, the furlough scheme, uh, especially in those early months. Um, a number um, have accessed the C-bills scheme as well, and a number that weren't sure what was gonna happen. So actually they accessed the scheme with a worst case scenario, and now actually looking at the numbers, everything looks a lot better than it effectively was being forecast last year. So I think the government support has been there. Um, it's been abused, I think, by some, uh, unfortunately, um, but it is there for, for businesses to sort of access over the last sort of 18 months. I think going forward, sort of the furlough scheme coming to an end may be a cliff edge for one or two businesses, but I think most businesses that either need the C-bills or the bounce back were ahead of the curve and actually getting those loans a while ago, and actually some of them now rather than actually needing those loans to actually continue with the business, are actually finding that they're in a position to actually repay those loans significantly earlier than they were, or use them to look after other investment opportunities for them. Thanks for that. That's a tremendous overview. And actually, it's, you're, you're, of course, you're absolutely bang on. I mean, this government has been more generous in terms of its support than anyone else in, in Europe. Graham, 
Um, you see a lot of businesses too, you know, um, some good, some bad, some some going to fall off a cliff. What's what, at the moment? What if you took the temperature of the business community in the northeast? What would it tell you? Is it high or low? It's mixed, uh, as as you would expect, and um, there are companies who are doing very well, who have done very well throughout the pandemic because they've been in the right place. There are companies who are really struggling uh, and who are not going to survive. Um, and there are people in the middle who are trying their best and hoping for things to get better. Uh, we've done a story today, the Beggies Trainer Red Flag Alert, which um, spots companies in distress. <clears throat> and and so it's not quite a quote. I think it was 24% of companies in the Northeast are in some form of distress. Now, bizarrely, the number of uh, companies going out of business has probably been less than, than normal because they've been supported through furlough and through other loans and other, and other government support. A lot of those companies are going to get to a stage where they have to repay money and, and, and they may be in real trouble. And actually, that's that's a that is a red flag, isn't it? Twenty four percent who are um, could be could be in trouble going forward. And actually, if we just connect that back to the, the, the where we sort of started with the sort of NI, the protected rise in, in um, national insurance contributions, um, that and, and taxation hits companies very hard, doesn't it? Um, I'm going to come to an accountant on this because actually accountants have very good views on tax, I think. So, Chris, let's come to you and then we're going to, I'm going to, I want to hear from the pain from an owner manager perspective. So, Chris, what's your view on this NIC or should we be looking at the whole of the tax system? I think it's one of those things whereby personally I think we should be looking at the whole of the tax system. Um, I think what we've had in place has been there for a number of years. Um, if you look at actually the the setup and why we're actually talking about this increase that's because we've got the nhs and social services working separately then we've got this one increase coming in to help with the sort of that care facilities so that sort of not fit the purpose on the sort of the on the expense side but on the income side we've seen sort of things change dramatically over the years i mean council rates have been around as they have since the 1990s no real change on those Businesses, I'm fairly sure, would like to see business rates reviewed, and that's been discussed now for a number of years, but no government seems to have got that one over the line, and that's something, especially with the high streets and the way spending habits are being changing at the moment, is something that does need significant review. So I think there's a whole review of all taxes probably needed. Whether any government have got the appetite to do that with re-elections and everything else, I think will be a sort of always be the problem. In respect to the national insurance, um, my thought would be this is going to affect especially those that are on the younger end because they tend to have the lower salaries and national insurance limit for when it actually kicks in is a lot lower than the income tax limit for when it kicks in. So I think if we were to bring in something like this, we'd have to do something with the starting point of when that tax actually becomes payable by people to actually minimise the impact on those that are sort of don't have so significant uh, such significant income coming through, but it, it'll be an interesting one politically. How it, how this it's an out. interesting round. I'm always very pleased I'm not a politician because you know th this is not simple, is it? Any of this, if you do something here, something it, it affects something there. But this is of real concern, I think, in an ish, in an area like this because um, you know we are behind um, the national averages. We know that this area is the top of the wrong and, and bottom of all of the right statistics. And actually, when you make changes like 
this, they actually have a bigger potential impact um, in an area that's actually not doing as well as some of the others. So Martin, you're making a very big positive impact as an owner-manager business here. What do these taxes mean for your business I mean, it, and, and your colleagues who you speak to? Yeah, sure. I mean, I can't disagree with a lot of things Chris, uh, Chris said there. And, um, you know, you wouldn't really want to have to be the Chancellor right now. He's kind of had a, a good ride in a way. He's been throwing money left, right and centre over the last 12, 18 months and made himself quite a popular man. Every decision he's going to make now is going to be popular to someone. And I think he's going to have to keep his head low for a little while. And, and that's kind of the problem, isn't it, with politics? He's, got a, he's going to have to... He's going to have a short-term-ish view on his decision, but really we need very long-term uh, strategies and views, sort of decade or more, to, to resolve this. And, and, and that's really where, you know, they've got to stand up and, uh, and are they going to do good for the country or good for themselves? So, But bringing it back down, um, Caroline, to slightly question sort of more locally, you know, as a local business based in Teesside, you know, you know, we're the heart of sort of, you know, wanting to level up, you know, you know, a lot of attention's come to this area and, and we're trying, everyone's trying to do the best, the businesses are here established already and the new things that are coming to the Freeport and the Treasury and, and all that. And all I want to do is employ people, um, employ as many local people as possible and grow my business and try to be as successful as I can to the local area. And, and you know, that's why I set out on the journey somewhat 20 years ago. And, and when you've got taxes, um, like the increase in, in, in the national insurance contribution, it feels like a little bit of a kick, if I'm honest, because, you know, in, in essence, it is a bit of a, a, a tax on jobs. And when all we want to do is employ people and get money in the pockets and get them out spending, you know, get VAT through the door, but start making things and getting that other sort of tax system in to be taxed more for, for, for the good of actually trying to employ more people just doesn't kind of sit right. Uh, with me and it doesn't sit right for taxing people more for their own personal income you know nearly half of the treasury revenues and anything from national uh, NIC and uh, personal income tax there's a lot of money coming out of people's pockets and there's got to probably be other ways like Chris mentioned that we can look at the whole tax system and where can we draw money from different areas which isn't in people in the pockets and businesses that are trying to ultimately get off the ground and flourish just doesn't feel an easy win maybe but doesn't feel quite right. I love that. And of course, you know, you are a business, you know, we've talked about we wouldn't want to be a chancellor because actually you need to be brave. If you're an owner, if you're an owner manager, you're brave um, because actually it's a difficult place to be, whatever the um, environment's out there. You hear, Graham, from lots of owner managers, you see here from the professional services, you know, the, the, what they're saying to you and, you and you feature them. What have been the sort of some of the best brave stories that you've heard coming out of the um, or during the pandemic, which should give people encouragement to do more of the same and actually contribute to this levelling up agenda? I know you... Uh We've seen a lot of businesses who've uh, pivoted away from what they know best because they realise that's the only way to survive and to do new things. To do that at a time when the economy is in trouble is hugely brave and we've seen quite a lot of companies do that. The other thing I would highlight is companies who have um, really been under pressure uh, in terms of the bottom line and have not used that opportunity to stop the work they do as corporate citizens, you'll know, uh, Carolyn, you're involved with, with sort of good business. Um, we've um, seen a lot of companies who have, despite being really up against it, continue to support food banks, to support local charities, to do the right things by their employees. Um, we're, we're looking at the entries currently for the Northeast Business Awards and 
we've never had more entries to the Heart of the Community Award and we had something more than 30, 35 entries to a new COVID-19 response award. These are companies who have at the most difficult time that they've faced in decades, centuries, possibly ever, continue to do the right thing for the North East and that, that's really heartening to see. And what I'd like to know as well, because it's, or is it? I, it one, the, the, an assumption might be that that's easier for big com bigger companies um, because they've actually got a bit more um, resource and resilience built in. But I bet that actually you've got those entries from across the board, haven't you? They're not just the big guys. No, and I mean, you know, we all saw uh, Barber making PPE, Nissan making mm. PPE, those big companies who've got a lot of capacity you know great stuff they're doing but they've got that capacity it isn't just those companies it's smaller companies as well um yeah it, it is across the board and and that is very heartening because it's part of the let's be brave actually because it, it's to do to do things bravely but also put things back in the community which is so important if if the region is is going to level up it, it's easy to batten down the hatches at a time like this and say right let's get money in the door let's concentrate on survival and I wouldn't blame anyone for doing that because if you might come out the other end and, and go back. But a lot of companies see themselves as corporate citizens and have very much seen that during this time, it's not a time to do less of that, it's time to do a bit more of that. And it's funny, isn't it? Because this is about leadership. We've got leadership, we've got government leadership here where, where you know thinking about right how do we how do we pay the bills how do we how do we pay the country back for what we put into business and society over the pandemic but we also got businesses as real worth creators as well as wealth creators oh very much so and and you know you, we all know that working for a company like that makes your working life better and you know pre-pandemic people were starting to search out those companies that had a sense of purpose and made you feel that going to work wasn't just a nine to five, that you were doing something worthy with your life. I think that's only been magnified by what's happened in the last 18 months. And have you seen this, Chris? Because you look after a variety of um, companies and you also look after companies with purpose, third, third sector. Have you seen this? Have you, have you seen on the ground what Graham's talking about? I mean, the third sector is, is sort of it depends on which sector within the third sector, if you like, you actually sort of talk about here as to how, how they've actually responded to this. Um, because people like the sort of the museums and the theatres have obviously been extremely sort of, well, been, they've been hit significantly um, and had to sort of have furlough for their staff, um, had to look to raise additional funds, um, had to sell certain things in certain instances just to keep afloat. But if you go into those in the social services side, I think what you'd find is actually they've received more income to actually do what they need to do on the ground than actually historically they've received. So we've got a number of, of, of charities in that sector and either through local authorities or through individuals they've received monies which they've then been able to sort of use to actually either help businesses but more usually sort of individuals on the ground deal with the, the impacts of COVID um, on, on them and, the, and their families. So that's a double thing, isn't it? It's, it's, it's Graham's talking and celebrating the businesses that actually have continued on doing good, even though it's really tough out there. And yep. then you've also got the third sector, particularly in social service and really what I call sort of close to the ground charities who are doing more for less and making it work. Martin, what about this, uh, you know, this bravery? Is this something that you've seen in your colleagues and your, your peers in the Tees Valley? 
you know, absolutely. And I, I couldn't agree more with what, what Graham is saying. There. I'm very passionate about that kind of thing as well, because, you know, most people, um, you know, away from the large corporates and the FTSE companies and these sort of multi-billion pound organisations, we're in business to, 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 to generate money, to put things back into the communities which we serve. We want to create opportunities, enhance the lives of the people who work with us and their families. You know, if you go to a football field on a Sunday, all the football teams are sponsored by local clubs, you know, and getting back to sort of the food banks and that, that, that's why we're in business really we're, we're not in business to make super profits and buy sort of super yachts and things it's, it's not about that and i think that sense of community uh, and giving back is, is what's why why we start um and it's great to see that still happening now right across the tees valley and that's all we want you know we want a really good area that's vibrant it's got a brilliant future the kids can sort of stay here and have a career and and give back again and again and just that improvement and it's it is so important, and 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 that's where we we just need to give, be given a fair chance with things like the tax system, uh, and the different things that the government give us to help us to, to to move on. I just want to touch on one thing, Caroline, which I just thought was interesting because we, we talked about about the furlough side of things, and and it, we've got to be careful with some of these sort of incentives and, and things that the government land as well, because if they do go on too long, potentially like the furlough scheme has, we're seeing a direct impact to us now as a business because we're finding it really hard to recruit people as well yeah. because. A very very low volume of applicants to give you an example for a, for a, for a contact center agent so you know a, a, a standard normal job you prior pandemic you'd be having 300 applicants we're now down to 30 or 40 there's a real real difference in the volume of people can have that, and that's not helping us either so you've kind of got that kind of cobra effect for want a better of a term so we've got to be very careful that businesses as they're trying to get out of the system and grow and do good to go the area aren't being hampered by government policy maybe not you know, on purpose but still we've got to listen to the people on the ground and there is almost that cause and effect isn't there funnily enough we were talking about that last last time about actually how you get or how you can attract um talent into the business because it's really not easy because i suppose we're in in sectors where traditionally there may have been quite a lot of european um, workers those european workers have gone back to europe then you've got furlough, and then you've got, particularly in the Tees Valley, you have great big businesses that suddenly come in and actually um, perhaps take away some of the people who might be working um, in, in, in your call centre. Caroline, you're exactly right. We talked about this yesterday. You know, that's brilliant. And I'm not against, you know, this new business investment. You know, there's some very big businesses that arrive in, in Ireland and things, but it's making it quite hard as well. So, and we compete and we've got to compete and we will. But we need to also give them a fair, a fair crack of the whip as well, so we don't um, suffer uh, by, by by larger corporates coming in and, uh, and taking all the workforce. Yeah, and yeah, we we talked about it last week, so I won't this week. But what is happening as a result of all of this, I think, is that the the, the world of work is changing, isn't it? work is being done differently and it sort of does connect back to where we started because we were talking about you know the need perhaps for the whole the entire tax system to change but let's just focus on the world of work at the minute you've benefited from that change of work that change um martin you've directly benefited over the years chris i'd be interested given the scope of your customers across the patch how some how some of them are adapting to the changes and changing way of workings and that includes you in professional services what are you doing differently to make sure that you attract in the right talent well i think firstly i just sort of like to echo martin's point at the moment i think recruitment across the board is a bit of a nightmare um, yeah. effectively across the tees valley i think any business i go and see whatever the, the reason that they can't expand or they've got an issue at the moment is actually staffing um, and actually being able to recruit people. 
which then leads you on to the, the other part of the, what you just asked then, which is really sort of how, how is business adapting to that? Um, I've seen one business has completely, well, basically sent all their staff home. Um, they've actually ceased the lease on the, bu the building. Um, there's about 80 people in that building and everybody is now working from home. Um, so everybody's working remotely. Um, at the other extreme, we're seeing one or two businesses asking their sort of staff to go back. But I'll be perfectly honest, in most cases, that's not going back 100%. That's working sort of three days, four days a week in the office, but actually working a day or two from home. So there is a sort of change in the dynamic about how people are going to work. I am slightly concerned on a personal note about mental health, um, because if people are working from home and actually working in their, their bedroom or their on the dining room table on a regular basis, how's that going to impact on them? I'm also sort of slightly concerned about training because you do actually learn a lot. We're actually in a room with other people. Um, but at the moment, it seems to move towards sort of where you can, that's mainly within the service sector, people doing a bit more work from home rather than always going into the office. And just before we move on to, to Graham on this, who do you want to hear this? Who do you think has the sort of the power almost to you know because everybody I'm talking to is having these problems with recruitment and you know if and, and then trying to do things differently so that they can they can be you know to to make the, give themselves the best chance if you like of, of talent attraction but then that just sets up internal an internal market of competition doesn't it so who do you want to hear Martin who do you want who do you want to hear this and act on it uh, sport of directing is a, is a chance, and I think the furlough scheme, and I know it hasn't got long to run, so we're just kind of, you know, letting it roll out at the moment. That needs addressing. I don't particularly want to be taxed more for employing people that can help it right now. But the other thing, you know, it's a bit of a social thing, I think, as well, because people have been reluctant to move and change jobs, I think, quite understandably over the last year or so. I think as we are sort of opening up now, and people are getting a bit more back to normal. I think hopefully... We'll see a bit more movement in, in, in the in the recruitment sector. So, but well, I guess you want to hear is the chancellor, Chris. I think I'd agree with that. I think we want to hear the chancellor sort of come up with a, with a few views on things uh, and, and and changes uh, to enable things to happen. The furlough scheme possibly for some has gone on a bit too long, uh, but then for other sectors, I think they'd possibly argue it possibly needs to be there slightly longer. Um, thinking here is sort of things like the theatres and, and the museums, whereby they're still sort of working on lower capacities. But I'm still hearing of people in the hospitality sector being sort of on furlough. And then I'm hearing on, when I go to the next meeting, I'm sort of speaking to somebody in the hospitality sector and the same, we're crying out for staff, we can't get anybody. And yet I'm just coming from a meeting with somebody else who's furloughed half of theirs because that's what they, what that's what they decided to do at the moment. Um, so I think I'd agree with Martin. I think as soon as the furlough scheme comes to an end, we'll get a bit more of an idea about what the new norm is looking like. I think again agree with martin i think people will become a bit more sort of sort of have a bit more appetite to move as well um i think a bit i think i agree there's reticence at the moment to move because you've got a bit of job security where you are and you're not sure what the next one's going to be like but i think as conditions change and as i said i think there'll be more working from home going forward um people might sort of move just because their employment situation has changed that's great. So actually, we started with the Chancellor, so that's great that you want this going straight back up there. Um, 
You're quite an influential fellow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. You are. I'm going to give you that credit. You, you're a business editor of a newspaper and a, and a group of things. So, you know, can you help get this back up to the Chancellor? And actually, is there any that, anything that you'd like to add, Graham, in terms of what you've heard from, you know, all of the stories that you're picking up, the, you know, the, the market intelligence you get from all of the various reports that are published? Listen, the government's put itself in a very difficult position. Um, it, it, it traded on saying there was no such thing as a magic money tree and then found a, a whole forest of them out the back of, the, of number 10, number 11. Uh, the Prime Minister stood when he entered Downing Street and said he had a plan for social care. And here we are two years later and, and he seems to have lost it. <laughs> yes, he's under the sofa. So when they float things like raising national insurance... They're trying to, you know, gauge gauge the mood of the country and of their backbenchers, and it's and it's clearly been bashed down a bit by a lot of people. The problem is these are really thorny, difficult issues that need brave, far-reaching, far-thinking politicians to solve them. I'm going to say I don't think these are the boys for the job. Now. A year ago, we were all sat around, or sorry, stood on our doorsteps on, on a Thursday night clapping the NHS and other essential workers. Now we're saying we don't want taxes to rise to pay for social care. I don't, I get, nobody wants to pay more taxes, businesses don't want to pay more taxes, that makes sense. But how do we square that circle? If we want to solve social care, which has been an issue for decades, we're going to have to find some money for it, or we're going to have to start charging people for it. And what we don't seem to be able to do is say which of those it is, or even a mixture. So what we need is some brave politicians at a national level, and I'm afraid, and it's just my point of view, I don't think we've got it at the minute. So they're going to have to find some bravery, which we talked about earlier. And if we want to tackle these issues, if we want to tackle tax system, we want to tackle business rates, if we want to tackle social care, we can't just keep the, kicking the can down the road floating ideas uh, in the Telegraph every now and again, and then realising that we still haven't found a solution, we've got to actually make some decisions. Don't you just love that? Isn't that such a very good <laughs> way to finish? We started there with Chancellor, what a difficult job he's got, and we've ended with, actually, what a difficult job it is. But actually, what we've done is we've singled out some exemplary business behaviour over the course of um, the pandemic, which shows what it is to be brave um, and stand by, you know, to, and to hold a standard. So. What I would like to do, gentlemen, is thank you all for your time today. Martin, thank you very much for bringing that expected zest from um, Lemon Solutions. Chris, thank you so much for bringing with you the raft of owner-managers that you represent across the Tees Valley um, and indeed your experience in the third sector on behalf of Clive Owen and Graham. Read this man's column. He writes a brilliant column in the journal. He remains my favourite business editor. Even now. Even now. <laughs> um, it's fantastic to have you all here today in person or joining us live. So um, if you miss it today, you can still listen to it on Apple and Spotify or those things when you're driving. Um, and it's also it will also be edited and then put on Recognition PR's um, YouTube thing. Uh, YouTube thing, sorry, technical, middle-aged. 
I'm sure most of you will be delighted that Graham Robb will be back in the hot seat next week. It has been my pleasure for the last two weeks to host on his behalf Business Unmuted. Um, please stay in touch, stay streaming, stay watching and every week you're going to get some brilliant conversations like this one. Thank, thank you gentlemen. <laughs>